This is Publishers Weekly Radio, the authority on all things books and publishing, with everything you need to know from your favorite books and the world in which they live to bestseller lists and publishing news. Here's the inside story on your favorite story. Publishers Weekly Radio, with your hosts, Rose Fox and Mark Rotella. Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Radio on the web at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and also available on iTunes. I'm Rose Fox and I'm a reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Mark Rotella, senior editor at Publishers Weekly. We're bringing you the very best of book talk directly from PW's offices in New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. On today's show, author Sophie Jordan discusses her sexy new novel, Tease. Then we'll take you on a verbal tour of Book Expo America, which is going on right now. But first, here's a sneak peek at next week's Publishers Weekly bestseller list, powered by Nielsen Bookscan. Slim pickings for us all, I think. Yeah, there's not a lot going on. Um, we've got a new number one in fiction, though. It's The One and Only by Emily Giffen. Uh, this is a, a new novel. She's the author of novels like Something Borrowed and Where We Belong. Mm. These are you know, very much the sort of women's fiction type books and uh, reliably rockets up to the mm. top of the bestseller list. This one is about a, a woman who uh, has always lived in a small college town um, and when unexpected tragedy strikes, the tight-knit community um, she has to figure out how to cope with it mm-hmm. so uh, we don't have a review for that yet in pw but i expect there will be one coming soon sure and then uh, a little further down on the hardcover fiction list we have the lincoln myth by steve berry that's at number five this is the 10th thriller featuring cotton malone what a great name yeah <laughs> kind of reminds me of cotton mather but that's a whole different one yeah a whole little different, name. <laughs> little different. Um, so uh, this this is uh, has a little bit of a history to it um, there's a secret document that's been passed from George Washington to each new president um, and uh, then finally Lincoln uses it to, to seal a bargain with Brigham Young uh, oh, wow. familiar from the, sure. the Church of Latter-day Saints uh, so there's a, a whole bit of sort of historical intrigue going on and uh, involves a retired Justice Department agent. Uh, There's love, there's scheming, there's a little bit of everything. Mm. And the PW Review says the action builds to an overly neat resolution in the wilds of Utah, but Barry's skillful blend of history and supposition will intrigue his many fans. A little further down the list, we have Sniper's Honor by Stephen Hunter. Uh, This is at number eight on the hardcover fiction list. This is the ninth novel featuring another fellow with a great name, Bob Lee Swagger. Ooh. It's terrific. Uh, he's uh, he's supposedly retired uh, from from his glory days as a sniper, but of course the action keeps dragging him back in. Uh, this one involves travel to Russia, uh, investigating again a little bit of history, uh, Soviet army during World War II, and uh, a whole lot going on. Mm. So uh, we say that you don't have to be a fan of military action fiction to enjoy this installment. And finally, I wanted to go a little bit further down the list. Um, there's a really interesting book at number 14 that hasn't been on bestseller list in quite some time. It's Beowulf. Uh, a new translation? A new translation. Um, oh, this, wow. Except it's also an old translation. This is J.R.R. Tolkien's translation, the author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He was quite the scholar. Right. And uh, he did this translation in in 1926. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, he's continued to refine it even after that. But that was sort of considered the definitive version. Um, wow. And so this rendition is edited by his son, published for the first time. And it's at number 14 on our hardcover fiction list. So so 
that that's pretty impressive that that's Tolkien's really impressive. name uh, will is enough to to take a poem like this, which is not obscure by any means, but is also you know not something I would think of as popular fiction, and bring it to sure. the attention of so many people. Sure. And who's the publisher for this? Um, the publisher is Houghton Mifflin. So. Fantastic. Yeah. And and we'll be talking a little bit more about BEA today, but there's a whole uh, stage uh, uh, going on about translation in today's world and and translations of of uh chinese italian russian literature mm-hmm. uh into english for uh, american audiences so anyway there's a lot a lot of talk about translation still going on yes absolutely and uh, i think it, it's safe to say that beowulf was in the public domain mm-hmm. when uh, tolkien tried his hand at it um, and uh, this is just his his own interpretation as a scholar wow. so uh, our our review says that people will no doubt continue to debate tolkien's interpretation but lovers of his work will agree that this is a book that's long overdue oh fantastic so Great. that's that's the fiction list what have you got over a non-fiction number one uh one nation what We Can All Do to Save America's Future is by Ben Carson. He's a uh, neurosurgeon at Johns Hopkins University. And a letter on the jacket. We don't have a review of this one in yet either, uh, but I'm sure one coming. In February 2013, he writes, I gave a speech at the National Prayer Breakfast, standing a few feet from President Obama. I warned my fellow citizens of the dangers facing our country and called for a return to the principles that made America great. Uh, he writes that Obamacare threatens our health, liberty and financial future. Media elitism and political correctness are out of control. Wall Street Journal review says uh, the Johns Hopkins neurosurgeon may not be politically correct, but he's closer to correct than we've heard in years. So there's um, been a lot of talk on the on the left and the right about this about this book. And that's the number one. And uh, everything going all the way down to nine is pretty much the same as was it, as it was last week. And this one is uh, number nine. Brunette Ambition by uh, Liam Michelle uh, from Crown Archetype. She's best known for her role as Rachel Berry on the uh, Fox series Glee. Mm-hmm. And she's a singer, actress, and she offers this what we call a hybrid memoir, cookbook, and fitness and style guide sprinkled with lists of favorites, do's and don'ts, and fan Q&As. Uh, she was raised uh, in the Bronx, and uh, we say that Michelle's warm, easygoing tone and colorful anecdotes will appeal to her devoted fan base. That's quite so a that's lot to pack into one book. That's quite a bit, yeah, yeah, exactly, all uh, 224 pages, so wow. she's got it all right there, and number nine, she's sitting pretty pretty good on the charts. And just looking down a little bit, the next new one we have is, uh, I believe, number 31, Good Talk, Dad. The Birds and the Bees and Other Conversations We Forgot to Have. This is by uh, Bill and Willie uh, Geist. They are uh, both, at one point or other, uh, reporters and uh, commentators on, um, I believe it's CBS. But anyway, it's a father-son team. This is the first book together. And this one, we say, conceived after Bill let the world know he had Parkinson's disease. This work is meant to show Bill's grandkids and Willie's kids the unique relationship and friendship between father and son. Uh, they say it's, it's kind of written in a call and response way. He'll uh, Willie will ha- offer a chapter, and then Bill will will comment on it, uh, or vice versa. And uh, I think part of this one one essay uh, appeared in Grantland.com by Willie about his uh, four year old daughter taking her to Columbia University football game, and it was just kind of a, a humorous piece about why he even wanted to take his daughter to a football game and what happened there. And it was pretty sweet. We say, though, both these... uh 
Uh, both the guys are TV hosts and journalists by trade. Pro suits them equally well, allowing each to be more off-color and more in-depth in their storytelling. They say it's a fun read over Father's Day. So that's what we have on the nonfiction list. All right. Well, it looks like uh, we'll be keeping an eye on the list for next week when those big June books start hitting the shelves. Yeah. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, Sophie Jordan tells us what goes on behind closed doors at a prestigious Ivy League university. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Today we've got Sophie Jordan on the line. Her newest novel is Tease, the second book and the Ivy Chronicles. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to talk with you. So tell us a little bit about your book. Well, Tease is book two in the Ivy Chronicle series, but it's still a standalone book, so readers could dive in at any point, but you know... A lot of times readers like companion novels. They like to read them in order. So Mm -hmm. the first book was Foreplay, which released last November. Um, And they're new adult novels. So I don't know how familiar, you you know, everyone might be with the new adult genre. It's kind of the new thing. Tell tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure some of our listeners aren't familiar with it. Sure. You know, there's a lot of, like, almost debate and controversy over it. Like, it's sort of a natural progression from young adults some people just think it's a natural, like it comes from contemporary romance, because there's definitely a romantic plot line in there. Um, and when it came about, when the genre came about, I was already writing young adult, and I was already writing adult romance. So here's this new genre that's sort of set within those early 20s, so most often they're college age heroines um, and protagonists, heroes and heroines. And, um, you know, I was already kind of straddling the fence between adult romance and YA, so it felt like a real natural fit for me. I like to think about when I write YA, the romance in my YAs are maybe romance for the first time, Mm -hmm. and then in my adult romance, it's uh, those heroines are often in their 30s and they're more experienced. They've had, you know, they've been through relationships. So in the new adult genre, I think it's not necessarily, it's not romance that is the first time necessarily, but it's the first time that matters that it's significant, that they're out from their, the umbrella and the shelter of their parents, and they're making, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of putting on their big girl panties for the first time in their life. <laughs> so this genre has really only been around for about five years as a, as a concept. That's when the, the phrase new adult uh, right. was first coined. How does it feel to be helping to shape something that's so new? That's really exciting. And it's, it's exciting to watch um, how it's grown and changed. And there's you know, they push the boundaries within it. Like you're getting thriller, new adults, you're getting some with, you know, paranormal elements into it, futuristic. Um, and they started out, I think, almost solely set on a college campus. And a lot of times now they're, you know, not every 20 year old is in college necessarily. So you're seeing, and, or heroes for that matter. A lot of the heroes, you know, in T's, my hero is, he's, um, he's returned from the military. He's a former Marine. So, um, so, you know, we're, moving outside the box of what Noodle first was when it arrived on the scene. And I think you can find a lot of uh, variety in there, just like you can in the romance genre in general. So tell us a little bit about this couple, about these people and how, how they connect. Um, well, you know, I talk about, you know, in my first book, I kind of, I wrote the girl that was, um, you know, first time away from home and, and 
it was all, you know, relationships. She'd never had a serious boyfriend. I really wanted to write a different kind of girl, uh, again, a 20 year old. But, you know, when I went to college, you know, I was one type of girl, but I had roommates and friends. We were all different. So, uh, Emerson and T in, in tease, she's, you know, she kind of is that tease. She's got a little more experience. She's never had a significant relationship, you know, that mattered. She's never been with a guy longer than, you know, a hookup. Uh, she's never let herself get close to anyone or let a relationship matter or let anything be real. Uh, so, and she has her, um, these walls in place for, you know, reason, you know, there's, that's the backstory and where she comes from. So, um, you know, and I definitely had a, a, a friend like that in college <laughs> that, you know, it was almost admirable. She was almost like a guy, the way she went through relationships. <laughs> I was always like an awe of her, but of course there was another side to her too. So I enjoyed writing, um, not necessarily the stereotypical girl you'll find a new adult, you know, this girl that is very layered. And, um, and he, again, he's not your, he's living in the real world. You know, he's been in the Marines. He's come back. He really doesn't have a family waiting for him. Uh, you know, he, in a lot of ways, he already is a man. So when she, you know, engages in a relationship with him, he isn't going to play any games and he calls her a lot calls her out on a lot of her crap. So that was always, that was fun <laughs> to write. That sounds like it. You know, those moments for conflict for Bryce in the book. So, You've also written young adult books. Where's the dividing line for you between young adult and new adult? Oh, you know, it can be blurred. You know, I just think, you know, you, you definitely, there are young adults out there that are, that deal with heavy topics, mm. that, you know, deal with death and sex and abuse and, you know, that have all those heavy topics. Um, and... And a new adult, there's, you know, definitely no holds barred. So for me, I tend to write, like, I like to think my young adults are PG-13. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the new adult, it's a definitely adult, adult reading, you know. Um, so it's more R-rated? Yeah, I think so. But I think, you know, I, I think back to even, you know, when I was in college and, and just how a 20-year-old or 22-year-old or 23-year-old would talk. And, you know, sometimes I would have these funny conversations with my editor, like, well, would a 23-year-old guy say that? And no, he wouldn't, usually, especially a former Marine, you know. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot more, you know, a few more F-bombs than you would definitely find in my young adult. So I definitely just have to give myself, I let it all out in the noodle. I write it. If I feel I have to, you know, pull anything back, I would. But generally, I just, I want it to be authentic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, with with young adult, I have to keep in mind, you know, I think my suggested age range in new adult is 13 up. But I know, you know, I have a lot of, you know, junior high, middle school students reading my book. So uh, that's always a juggling act for me and young, young adult to be authentic, but to also be sensitive to the ages of my readers. And uh, in new adult, it's so freeing. I really, I was like, it is, you know, it is what it is. It's about 20 somethings and it's being read by adults. Ideally. And so when you set out to write either a new adult or a young adult book, you are, do you decide ahead of time? I mean, I know obviously there's a couple of these books in the series that are segment sure. third series. Or, or do you just just start writing and let the characters dictate? I do like to let the characters dictate, but I do know, like when I, I've written, I just turned in my fifth young adult novel. And when I started writing a young adult, I had like made a decision that I wouldn't have sex in these books. But then my fifth young adult novel was about an 18 year old girl and it was the sequel. And just, again, I, I felt like I had to listen to the story and what mm-hmm. would be natural for the characters. And, uh, I feel like it's a spoiler. Huh? Oh, well, 
<laughs> so maybe there was, there was sex, maybe more than likely in my, in my fits of young adult novel, but it was also, I deal with it. Um, it's just, I write it differently. It's the way in which I write it. Uh, and when I write new adults, I don't really, you know, no holds barred. I just let it go. And, and I know the reader coming into the new adult genre is there for the escape, the fantasy, the feel good read, you know, she's anticipating it. She's okay with it. I'm not, you know, so I have fun. <laughs> I don't worry. I don't look over my shoulder. Um, when I write the new adult. So how do you handle the, uh, possible awkwardness of writing those intimate scenes, either, uh, in YA, which must be very tricky, uh, or in the, the new adult books and the adult contemporaries that you mentioned, do you also write, um, where you're writing for adult readers? And as you said, you can let it all hang out. You know, I have a funny thing. The other day I just like looked over at my husband and I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm writing this, you know, the intimate scene in my, in the, in the follow-up to tease, it's called wild and that's coming out in November. And I'm right, you know, there I am writing the scene. I go, sometimes it just dawns on me right after I wrote it or as I'm writing it, that your mother reads my book. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, I, you know, writers talk about, you know, the saying is right. Like your mother's dead or your grandmother's dead. <laughs> you just can't think about them. You can't let them in your head, but sometimes they do creep in there. Um, and I'm, then I'm just, sure she skims past this. This I know you would think. I know my mother. I, I'm less like worried about my mother because you know my mother's the one who put my first romance novel in my hands. Maybe not deliberately, but it was on her nightstand table, and I think she looked up one day and I was 12 or 13, and I was just reading her <laughs> book. It was a hot summer. There was nowhere to go. So <laughs> I've lived in Texas all my life. So playing outside meant playing at 103 degrees. So mm. one day I just picked up her book and and. So she, you know, we've been sharing and swapping books for a long time. So I don't think it's phased her. And I, and it, I just, um, they do. It, it, the thought crosses my mind that, you know, wow, you know, people close to me are reading this. The, you know, my fellow PTA moms are reading this. I just, I let it, the minute it just comes in my head, I just shrug it off and keep going. Uh, and I do have a lot of trust in my editor. You know, like I do have these, I'll send her the strangest emails I tell, you know, where maybe, the subject line is what I'm struggling with. And I think in tease or the first book in the series four play, it was just an awkward moment where I'm like, you know, I know a 23 year old guy wouldn't probably say the word boobs or breast. And as you know, I'm like, Oh, we just got to call it what he would say, you know? And sometimes again, that's back to just the authenticity of what the book is. So, and maybe in my YA, I would just kind of skirt around it. I wouldn't have the guy, saying that. <laughs> oh, sure. So let's talk about where you grew up. Uh, you say in your bio that you uh, grew up in the Texas Hill Country, where you wove fantasies of dragons, warriors, and princesses. So describe to us the Texas Hill Country first, okay. and what was it about uh, growing up there that inspired you to conjure these stories? Um, I don't know. Do you remember, have y'all ever seen the Sandra Bullock movie, Hope Floats, with the hills? and the, You know, that is like within the area of where I grew up, you know, the hill country is just, it's, it's hill, you know, not mountainous, but definitely hills and, and very green. And, um, it, it, it's really nice, except like I said, in the summer when it's 103, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I tend to stay inside. We live by our air conditioners, but, um, I lived out on a, you know, a ranch and I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I had a neighbor, a friend I could walk to any like, you know, hanging out with friends or, you know, play dates as it would have to be arranged in advance. So I had a lot of time to myself. Uh, and so I gravitated from reading, you know, from playing dolls to reading to then just acting out these fantasies in my head. 
I had a lot of free time during those summer months. Um, and that's, I think that's where the fantasies, you know, I do remember, you know, I think for me, you know, playing long hours in my room just developed this very rich fantasy world. And then probably around junior high and high school, I started writing things down. So um, were you thinking of yourself as a fantasy author at that time? How did you get from there to romance? Um, I think there was always romance in whatever I was doing, you know. And I, my first YA trilogy dealt with actually, it dealt, it dealt with dragons like shapeshifters and stuff. Um, but always in whatever world I've imagined, there was always, you know, a romance to one degree or not. Um, and that's the ultimate fantasy, I think. The escape, um, romance, the happily ever after, that's the, the message is always hope. It's always, you know, good winning. That's beautiful. So, thank you. <laughs> We've been talking with Sophie Jordan. You can find her book, Tease, in stores right now. And the third one, as she said, is coming out in November. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, our special report from the floor of Book Expo America, so stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox. You're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Every week we get insider info from Publishers Weekly editors and contributors, and today we're your insiders. We just come back from the floor of Book Expo America, and there's a whole lot going on. There is. It's quite a bustle. Um, Book Expo America, or BEA, uh, takes place every year at the Javits Center here in New York City. For those who haven't been there, it's... um, kind of an enormous aquarium full of little scurrying ants uh, who on closer... Carrying books. Carrying books, <laughs> carrying bags and bags and bags of books. Uh, I saw a couple of people today who were a little overwhelmed. It was their very first book expo. And uh, they, they said they were really glad that some of the publishers were giving out bags mm-hmm. because as you walk around, there are signings, there are galley giveaways. Uh, there's a lot of swag. You know, we have this event every year, and there's a lot of work for us leading up to it. It's it's a weeks in preparation, thinking about how we're going to feature it in the issue, uh, in magazine, the kinds of coverage, and then we have the show daily that we all work on. The uh, this is the newspaper that's handed out on every day of the on the show floor every day of the show. But it's also this time that I, it's, this is the one time that we get to meet our colleagues throughout publishing, the sales, the marketing, but also editors, publishers. Um, and then we get to, you know, we, we get to run across bookstore owners. I mean, it's really it's really wonderful seeing still so many uh, uh, independent um booksellers out there mm-hmm. uh, of various sizes and, and that's really really nice to see and uh it's generally a really good feeling and we had we talked to jim milliot about this before our uh co-editorial director and in in previous years uh specifically five years ago i think there was a lot of fear in book publishing where it was headed but now it seems to be somewhat more optimistic. I don't know. People, even then, people still are, are feeling are feeling good. Yeah, I seem to, I, I seem to think so. Um, there's so many different kinds of authors out there today. Uh, Lydia Bastianich of PBS TV. She's a great cookbook author, Italian cookbook author. She had a stage where she was she was talking about how to make polenta. I'm sorry, how to make risotto, and uh, and had a nice crowd there. And there's a some food discussions going on. I moderated a panel um, 
on uh, first time memoirs coming out on, on travel. Uh, and, and that was a lot of fun this morning. And, and uh, just see firsthand all the different books and all the kinds of books that are coming out. I've been more wandering around the floor. I haven't gone to any of the events yet, yeah. though I might hit some tomorrow. But tomorrow, my schedule is all full of meetings. So mm. this is this is the time of year when, uh, especially small publishers who are outside of New York, have the the budget for the one annual trip to New York City. Right, right. And uh, they come here and they want to meet up, and I'm happy to connect with them. So that's most of what's going on for me tomorrow. And uh, it's it's going to be a whirlwind. One meeting after another, after another, after another. And then the parties in the evening. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, as all the publishers throw big parties to celebrate their authors, celebrate their books, and uh, let the, the people in publishing kind of hobnob and mingle. I would say away from the show floor, but actually the show doesn't feel that crowded this year and the parties are always right. packed. So it may actually be harder to have a conversation there than, yes. uh, than it would be to have one at the Javits. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I noticed you're right. This morning, uh, traffic was a little light. Uh, I don't know what I'm going back this afternoon to see what it's like. Usually the second day is really yeah. a lot more crowded. And, and talking about parties, uh, last night, Little Brown threw one for uh, what's going to be one of their books next season. Uh, and that's uh, Carlos Santana, uh, one of my favorite musicians mm-hmm. growing up, who I saw several times a few times, I should say, in the 80s. And this book isn't about his life as a musician, but it's more of a spiritual book. Uh, and um, it was kind of great to be within feet of him to, you know, as, as he gave a talk about the book. Did you get I, to shake his hand? I did. I did. I did. That's the uh, that's one of the things I, I was able to do, however briefly. It lasted only a moment, but, uh, but there was someone who I've seen on stage so many times and whose music I listened to. Um, so it's... It's a it's a pretty exciting time. It is. I, I've also seen a lot of organizations with booths on the floor. For example, I stopped by the Romance Writers of America booth, mm-hmm. uh, where they were handing out flyers advertising the various romance authors who were going to come by and sign there. Right. And I feel like there's there's just been more and more of that over the years. You don't just see individual publishers with presences. Right. You see uh, collectives of publishers, you know, people like the Independent Publishers Group, for example, IPG, um, who bring together a lot of small presses that couldn't afford booths on their own mm-hmm. for example but if they collectivize um, they band together and get a booth that represents all of them or these authors groups like RWA right. um, supporting their authors and right. uh, that's that's really nice to see it provides a good central place where you can go I mean if I wanted to know everything that was happening around romance writers at BEA I suspect the people at the RWA booth would be able to tell me sure that. yeah yeah definitely definitely and, and as I had mentioned earlier in the show the, uh, trans Translation uh, topics yes. and talks of translation has has gained a, a bit more of a, a larger presence mm-hmm. uh, in in the past few years. And as I mentioned, there's one corner of the I think it was the downtown stage where you, I think there's six or seven uh, stage events going on uh, involving involving translation, which is which is really great. Yeah, that's that's pretty significant. And yeah. you always see publishers from outside of the U.S. Uh, who have booths advertising their their various books. Right. Uh, but it's you know, it's tricky with rights deals and uh, making sure that your books mm-hmm. will actually get distribution right. in the U.S. And I certainly understand those publishers wanting to come here and connect directly with booksellers and librarians who might otherwise never hear right. of their works. Exactly. Um, but seeing the translations coming out of U.S 
publishers now are also also very interesting not just distribution of books from overseas but taking books that weren't written in english and making them accessible to the american and right. uh, england markets so it's really nice to see yeah so all in all it's another year another bea and it's uh, a lot of fun it is a lot of fun um and i was remembering my very first book expo uh, you know not not all that many years ago but i didn't know anyone i didn't know anything i'd been working at pw for one month <laughs> uh, and uh, i was completely at sea and my friend lawrence schimmel who's a, a publisher has been around quite a lot longer than i have just sort of took me in hand and oh, walked nice. me up and down the aisles introducing me to one person <laughs> after another i was like how do you know all these people <laughs> and now you know having been right. in the business for for seven years um i know actually quite a lot of these people as I was doing my my booth duty right. today and we all take turns at the Publishers Weekly booth no one is exempt yeah. um, and uh, and Mark's going to be doing a stint at our new Book Life booth um, mm -hmm. which uh, which is an interesting innovation that we're going to talk more about on an upcoming show right. but uh, you know we, we all stand there and we we meet and we greet and uh, take messages for whoever's not there and so forth but as I'm standing there just watching the traffic I'm like oh hi Patrick hi Claire hi Scott oh is that a picture of your niece oh she's adorable you, you know like it's it's nice to feel very connected to this community it is yeah it's a it's a big old family reunion it is exactly an annual family reunion so of, of our family For, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> tens of thousands of people but it, it's a big yeah. extended family but it really you know we all do feel like family there's not a sense of cutthroat competition or anything like that we all just love books yeah yeah though, though i'm sure in the publishing at the publisher level the executive uh, executive level they're thinking we've got to sell some books this year so sure <laughs> but even those folks you know they're all yeah. having lunch together yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so uh, it's a uh, it's it is a fun family reunion and i'm looking forward to going back to mm -hmm. it this afternoon and again tomorrow. Great. And that's it for today's show. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotelland. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. You can find this in every episode of Publishers Weekly Radio on our website at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and on iTunes, available for you to listen absolutely free. So check the site every week for a brand new episode, giving you the inside story on your favorite story and also for all of our coverage of Book Expo America. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio Show. 